This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Well, good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, 2020, it's almost over, right? We got a Christmas coming up uh, this week here on Friday. I hope you are uh, able to spend time with your family. I know that we're nervous and scared about COVID-19 and uh, uh, the effects of it, and maybe you're having to do it online, on Zoom, or, or whatever it might be, but I really do hope you are able to find a way where you could be with your family. If not, then I pray that you uh, your heart is lifted, maybe from this program. Uh, maybe you can make a phone call or, or be with somebody for the holiday. Please don't spend it alone. Please. And there's, there are folks out there. We are all Americans. We are, are but hopefully, and not hopefully, but we are, those of us baptized in Christ, we're Christians first. Don't forget that. But this is a time for unity. It really is. Now, can we, can we be unified with the other side? Well, I, I guess that just depends on, on what it is we're discussing. Uh, now, we're going to be getting to greatness in uh, what God expects of us as far as our attitudes go here in a moment, and we'll, we'll get to that, but that's going to be from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. We're going to get that to a little bit, but I, I do want to talk about this just a, a moment. As 2020 wraps up, the election is still being contested, and uh, I've shared some of my thoughts on this last week about truth and seeking the truth, and why don't people want us to know the truth? We we just want to look at the Dominion machines. We just want to look at the ballots and verify. Nothing wrong with that. And if I was Joe Biden, I'd be calling for it. Yes, do this so that there's no cloud over the presidency, so that everyone knows he won. Uh, but I don't believe he did. Even if it was Donald Trump who I voted there, I said it, I voted for, I voted for, even if it was him and there were, and it looked like this. I'd be saying, uh, "Wait, <laughs> we go and check." Now, would I want uh, him to win? Well, I do, but not like, not through cheating. No, never, never, never through cheating. But it angers me when others say, "Well, you're just going to have to trust us and not let us look," which is the right. It's all right, too. So I'm still perturbed by that. Another thing that's going on in the news, you got the COVID stimulus relief bill, whatever they're calling it. Uh, I've been wanting to see something happen for small businesses. They need help. All these lockdowns are killing it. These, this business. And some people are saying, well, better for a business to, to die out than for... Uh, people to die of COVID-19. Well, you know, people are dying, not from COVID-19. They're dying because of suicide. They're dying out of loneliness. I don't know how many folks 
uh, I watched pass away in a hospital. Well, I didn't get to watch them because I can't go visit them. And I think it's because they're just depressed. That is a big, big part of recovery, especially if you're older. If you're in there and you think you're all alone and you lose all hope, you're gone. Folks in the old... I'm getting on a, tan, uh, 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 on a soapbox there. I apologize. But I think you know what I'm talking about. And so these small businesses, they're, they're losing everything. And their livelihood, they're going into poverty. And poverty brings death a lot of times. It happens. It does. I, and I believe that the, the cure should never be worse than the disease. And it is. It is. This is getting ridiculous. So they finally get a stimulus bill put out there. Going to help the small businesses, right? So why is there billions and billions of dollars going out to other, other countries? Did you know that there's like some $35 million going to Pakistan so they can do gender studies? One point some billion dollars going out to, or two some billion going to Asia? Why? Why? I, I don't get it. I don't understand. So when I, I get like this and I don't want to be a downer, it's Christmas I want us to have something good to talk about. Let's turn our minds to the Word of God. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Let's look, let's look at verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Okay, so Matthew records uh, the occasion when the mother of James and John, they he, she came to Jesus requesting that in his kingdom, her two sons can sit one on the right, one on the left. Now, her name was Salome, the husband of Zebedee. We see that from Matthew twenty-seven fifty-six, Mark fifteen forty, and she obviously loved her sons. We should never get upset with her for for requesting this. She loved her sons. She wanted to make sure they were taken care of, or, or they were you know 
good things were going to happen. So her sons were given the name the Sons of Thunder. They were part, that's from Mark three seventeen. They were part of the, uh, of what might be referred to as the inner circle of Jesus. And that included Peter. <clears throat> and the three were the only witnesses to the transfiguration. They were with Jesus in the raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead. And Jesus singled out the three on the night of his betrayal to be nearby as he spent the night in prayer. Perhaps it is this intimate relationship with the Lord that motivates this request from this loving mother. But what I want us to see is the three attitudes exhibited in this particular incident of Matthew 20. Now first, there is the ambitious attitude of the mother's request. She obviously has an earthly concept of Jesus' kingdom, I think. Virtually all the Jews, including the apostles, we see this from Acts 1-6, they, they held on to that mistaken idea that Jesus would restore the nation of Israel to its former prominence among the kingdoms of earth. Maybe we should not be too condemning of her. You know, knowing how mothers feel toward their sons, certainly she... Uh, uh, she is not seeking glory for herself, you know. And even um, though she speaks without understanding, she does desire that her children be a prominent part of Christ and his kingdom. She believes in the Lord, and he has become a priority for her. And, and so that's, that's a big deal, right? Can you see that? Man, she's awesome. Awesome lady. Yeah, she's got some misunderstanding there. But she does understand the most important part. Jesus is important. And I want my kids as close to him as I can possibly get them. Good mom. She is a great mom. So that's the first thing. Number two, uh, there is a hint of an arrogant attitude that might be detected in the son's response to Jesus. Now, they do not hesitate to say they are able to drink the cup that Jesus is about to drink. Now, maybe the word arrogant is too strong of a term, uh, yet what they say is reminiscent of Peter's boast that he was willing to die for Jesus just prior to denying the Lord three times, right? I think these, these two also are speaking out of a misconception of what the kingdom was going to be. And now the third attitude is an uh, an annoyed attitude. It's revealed in the other ten apostles. Matthew includes himself in this statement. The ten became indignant with the two brothers. Remember, Matthew penned this. this, He was in there. I'm sure he's thinking back, oh man, (laughs) I just didn't fully get it back then, but now I do. So it appears that they are overcome with a bit of jealousy there which leads to resentment of the two. I think people can somehow feel wronged by the success of others. Jealousy can raise its ugly head at the thought that others might be honored above us. Resentment uh, can build to the point that it must be expressed. Often the expression is a verbal barrage aimed at the one who has enjoyed some measure of success. That's true. Uh, he doesn't deserve that sort of thing, we might say. And some like to 
cut down those who have reached some height of achievement for no apparent reason except that they have been successful. Jealousy wants to bring others down to a lower level. The level where it lives, right? Begrudging success to others only serves to reveal our own true colors. It never really touches those who are rightfully honored. Jesus takes advantage, though, of the opportunity, and he addresses this desire for greatness. Uh, Salome, the mother of the two sons, request was a desire to elevate her sons to positions above the ordinary. The, the sons think they can achieve it. They, they can handle it. And the ten are indignant about it. So Jesus speaks of becoming great. We had a great sermon uh, this past Sunday from one of our young men, Tyler Bigham, spoke on leadership and what real leadership was. And uh, this, this passage came to my mind while he was speaking. Good, great lesson. That's on YouTube. Uh, you should get over there and, and, and watch that. You can get to it from our website, www.nvcoc.net. You'll see a, a live stream video on the top. Right below that, you'll see some links. And one of the links is Sunday Morning Sermons. Click on that. Find Tyler Bigham. Okay. Uh, so back to what we were saying. Jesus is, is going to speak of becoming great. And, there, and there's great, and then there's great. There's two ways of looking at greatness. The way the world perceives it and the way the Lord perceives it. That's the way Tyler Bigelm approached leadership. There's the way the, the world looks at leadership, and then there's the way the, uh, uh, the Lord perceives or looks at leadership. And so the same here with greatness. The desire to become great is not condemned by Jesus here. In fact, he implies that it is possible to achieve greatness in his kingdom. The thrust of Jesus' message is in clarifying the true meaning of greatness and what is involved in achieving it. So, ears should perk up on this, right? Well, I hope they are. So, let's look at the means. The way to greatness is uh, not in the customary way of the world. Uh, He says there in verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. We are not able to be like the nations who define greatness in one's superior position and in the exercise of power over others. This is a message for all preachers, uh, all elders and deacons and teachers and, and committee chairmen you know, in the church. We simply cannot function as if we are the Lord and Master over people. This also condemns church politics, where men may stoop to ungodly means to achieve positions of authority within the church and then strive to hold on to it. Greatness, according to the Lord, is achieved by service to others. He says in verses 26 and 27 there, but whoever wishes to become Great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Jesus also showed us the truthfulness of this concept 
by the manner of his own life. Um, Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That, that's his earthly mission, was the, and, and one act of service. He gave up much in order to fulfill this. Uh, look at Philippians 2, 5 through 11 for, for that. If his, if Jesus' followers would see themselves as servants and their mission as serving others, then much more would be accomplished for the kingdom. Yet, if we are more concerned with how people treat us, well, then little will be accomplished. If there are congregations doing little, it is because the Christians there do not see themselves as servants. They may prefer to be served rather than to serve. So now that we've got the means nailed down, let's look at the cost. There is a mysterious kind of initiation into the inner circle of greatness. It involves drinking a sacred cup. Jesus drank it first. Then he passed it on to the apostles, who also drank of it. And it is available today for you and me to drink. What's the cup? The cup is a symbol of suffering. Jesus knew he would soon drink of it at Calvary. He promised the sons of thunder that they too would be privileged to drink of it. James was eventually killed with the sword in Acts 12 too. And although John lived much longer, he was imprisoned, Acts 4, 3, and 21, in fact, chapter 5 also. Uh, he was scourged in Acts 5, 40, and exiled to the island of Patmos, Revelation 1, 9. The other apostles, as if thirsty for it, drank of this cup and considered it a privilege to have suffered for Christ. I like what Linsky says here. For, he says, the way to greatness lies along the path of suffering. That's true. Those who desire to be great are those who are willing to pay the price. The price involves personal suffering for the sake of Christ's kingdom. The cost of greatness may also include the refusal to be served. Jesus did not come to be served, he said. He came to serve. The great within his kingdom do not come looking for service to be rendered to them, you know. Rather, they came looking for ways they can serve others. When one is being served, he is not serving. Service involves doing for others and not others doing for you. When all had equal opportunity but refused the task, Jesus was the one who stooped down and washed the dirty feet of the twelve. John chapter 13. He was teaching them. He was teaching us something about service and greatness. Only the immature, only babies need to receive constant attention. We are continually being served in our infancy, right? Because we're an infant, we're a baby, we can't do anything. But when we grow up, when we mature, we are no longer need the care required as children. 
Every Christian should look at his or her circumstances and ask this question. Am I constantly being served by other Christians? There are some who tend to require much spiritual babysitting. They must be reminded to attend the worship hour, coaxed into giving as they have prospered. Although they may have been in the Lord for years, they are never around when there's work to be done. They excuse themselves from ministry, cannot find the time for spiritual activities. Year after year, they remain the same in their relationship to the Lord and his church. They are the one-talent man who buried his responsibility. Yet, they make such great demands on others. You didn't come to see me when I was sick, they say. The church needs to provide a youth minister, a singles program, socials. This attitude of me, me, me is foreign to the kingdom of Christ, though prevalent in the thinking of the world. Movement upward, right, in the kingdom is by not being served. We become spiritual babies when we begin pointing to others as not serving us. JFK, John Kennedy, his inaugural address has gone down in history as one of the most memorable speeches in American history. And it's because that, that famous line, and it is a great line. I love it. I'm not a Democrat, but I love what he says here. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Man, we need to hear that today, don't we? In this welfare society, have we developed the attitude that our country owes us? (laughs) That's, That's pretty rich of me saying that, right? Coming off of the stimulus bill. But this is not a comparison on that. That's not the country owes us. The country has locked us down for almost a year. Open it up. Let us serve her again. And they're not letting us. But we want to. We want to. All right, I don't want to get back on that soapbox. Let me not do that, right? When we have that perspective, though, that uh, you know our country owes us, and then Im- imagine that we are not being treated fairly as we deserve, what would we do? What do we do? We complain. We gripe. We sue. If such an attitude fills the thinking of a Christian, then they will conclude that the church exists to meet their needs. Some congregations have brought, bought in, not brought, but bought into this philosophy and even advertise this as their purpose for existing. They do. I mean, I see it on their boards when you drive by. They invite people to join them in order to have their needs met. And of course, this is way of thinking. Once has been redefined as needs. So a person may wonder, If the church contributes too much to self-centeredness of some by catering to the whims of the weak, 
Does a father really uh, serve his children well by giving in to them when they threaten the parent with holding their breath or throwing a tantrum in public? Obviously, what many children really need is not what they are demanding. Children will naturally try to lord it over the household, demanding their way. Parents must exercise self-restraint in giving in to such selfishness. Christian leaders must also be careful that they do not perpetuate the immaturity of their brothers and sisters by giving in to their demands. Demanding is the way of the world. Serving is the way of Christ. Making demands reveals an incorrect perspective of the Lord's kingdom. Jesus calls upon us to change the way we see ourselves. His kingdom is different, and we must be different than the world. If we are to be part of a, of his kingdom, we must begin looking for ways to serve rather than demanding ways others must serve us. And that's the lesson I want to give you this week. I will hope we think about that as folks come to, to visit with us, perhaps family or whatnot. You know, look at ways we can serve one another. Have the, that attitude in ourselves that we saw in Christ. Well, so Christmas is coming. My kids are super, super excited. I'm excited. I love this time of year. I like the joy I see in people's faces. And man, I can't wait for, for the Christmas morning to appear. Now we know, uh, I won't get into the details of it, but we know Jesus was not born uh, at this time of the year. A lot of people think his birthday was December the 25th. It was not. Not going to get into all the details why, but you can look through the Bible with the, the shepherds and who was um, the a high priest at the time. So we know it, Jesus was born in the springtime. But it's okay to set this time aside this year to think about it. I'm glad people are thinking about the birth of Christ. I hope they are. That's a good thing. The birth of our Lord coming to this earth. Man, that's awesome. What a blessing the Lord gave us in Jesus. What a blessing. Let us always remember that. Remember his servant attitude. And let us take that attitude on ourselves to others. How much better this world would be if we all acted like the Lord. Thank you. May the Lord bless you this day and this week. Merry Christmas. Sending up to sweep away till she'll dawn the better day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.